Hi, and welcome to Tell Us Where It Hurts, a conversation around health, well-being, and the many ways people across central Indiana are offering a helping hand. I'm your host, Chris Kirshner, and today's conversation is about food insecurity and how it impacts the health of our community. Food insecurity is when you don't have enough food or you don't know where your next meal is going to come from. Food insecurity... Uh, are you are you referring to like having enough food to survive or what? Food insecurity is when somebody doesn't have access or resources to get the food that they need um, because of money or the area that you live in. Our guests today have made great strides in Indianapolis and Marion County in that regard. Martha Hoover is a former sex crimes prosecutor turned restaurateur with 14 eateries under the umbrella of Patichu Inc. She is recognized and celebrated not only for her business savvy and success, but for her fierce commitment to her employees and her community. One example is the Patichu Foundation, which was formed in 2013 with a mission to combat food insecurity and break the cycle of hunger. Matthew Feltrop is its executive director. Thank you both for joining us. Thank, thank you for you. having us. Yeah, so nice thank to have you. you here. Yeah. Let's start with some statistics first, and then we'll get into the discussion if you don't mind. According to Feed America, one in seven Hoosiers is hungry. 20% of those facing food insecurity are seniors and children. Does that sound about right based on your experience? Yeah, absolutely. And those numbers are from before the pandemic. And we expect that um, the pandemic has had a real negative effect on childhood and senior food insecurity just because of the isolation that's naturally in those populations. Let's talk about definitions first. I think maybe to, to just level set what we're talking about. When we talk about people are hungry or we're talking about food insecurity, are, are they interchangeable? What do we mean by food insecurity? Well, food insecurity is a really technical term. It's defined by the USDA, and it, it really means that you don't know when or where or how your next meal will come. And so people facing food insecurity have scarcity of resources. Um, but hunger is actually something different. That's something that we feel physiologically. And so while sometimes those terms are interchanged, food insecurity is a really scientific term that's defined and, and doesn't exactly equate to hunger. So what is the issue we're trying to deal with in central Indiana that, that you've been working toward, Martha? Well, the first and primary issue we we are focused on is the awareness of what food hung, what hunger is in this context, um, what food insecurity really means. Um, and we really focused on access, access to food and food that is of a certain quality. These are really complicated questions. You know, when here it, the ecosystem of each community is slightly different, but in every community, there is a population that falls within need, right? Um, and every community has its own issues and its own ways of tackling these problems. And what we have found as a, a really young foundation is that we came fully intending on feeding children, thinking that that was the right thing to do, to feed children a certain quality of food. And as we have grown as a foundation, we have also increased our knowledge of the landscape. And the landscape is something that most people, it, you mentioned it in your first question when you asked about what food insecurity means. So many of these terms have become um, ubiquitous in popular culture, but people are using terms that they're not fu fully familiar with and 
truly understand the impact. Another one of those terms is food desert, right? You, you hear yeah. a lot of this. You're right. They're kind of like buzzwords now. They but, are but, buzzwords. But what do they really mean? And you mentioned the quality of food. And, and that's what we talk about, right, with the food desert, that, that inability to access quality food, right, nutritious food. Yeah, and food advocates wholeheartedly denounce the term food desert, yet it is still a buzzword used in popular culture. They, you, they denounce the term food desert because deserts are something that happen naturally. And there is very, very strong philosophical belief that the lack of access to food didn't happen accidentally. So there are different ways to talk about areas of need without calling them deserts. There's a lot of um, division within the Indianapolis community specifically along racial and neighborhood lines um, where you can move one street over and the reality economically is completely different for families living on the other side of the street. And um, I think what's really important about this food insecurity, food deserts, food apartheid, all of these terms lack the whole picture. And so when we're talking about addressing food insecurity and hunger, we really have to recognize that we're talking about people. And at the end of the day, when we serve a kid a meal, that kid is um, a part of a family, and that family has economic concerns and health concerns. And so it's a bigger picture. And us as an organization, that's what we've realized. We've realized that we have to be cognizant of the entire picture because food is not, it doesn't exist in a vacuum. That's that's a, a fascinating and, and wonderful way to look at it, putting that face, right, and, and, and knowing that there is a person behind that, that buzzword, if you will. Mm-hmm. And the burden that is on people um, when, especially in the food service area, um, I think that one of the awareness issues is that people think that if you just feed people, feed kids, feed families, everything's going to be fine. And they don't really, it doesn't take into consideration the complex lives that people are forced to live and how economics impact not just ability to have access to quality food, to get food. I mean, look, most of the neighborhoods in which we serve, it is easier to get liquor than it is to get lettuce. And when you consider that, you go, wow, this is really a complex societal issue. It's not just people don't have access to food, so they, they can't go to a grocery store and get food. They may not have access to the the money required for food, but they also may not have access to money that would get pay rent, help with childcare, help clothe, buy medicine. I mean, these are complex lives. And so often we think, especially in the not-for-profit world, if you just take one, if you just feed somebody, you don't have to worry about the rest. And unfortunately, that's not how it works. A lot of your model is based around education, isn't it? Especially, you, you know, helping people understand the, the issues you're talking about. Is it helping people understand what, what is a healthy meal and, and how to access it? I mean, talk a little bit about your, your, your model as you uh, try to approach this and break the cycle. Well, I think one thing that we have recognized about hunger and, and this pandemic has certainly highlighted is that it really comes in two different ways. The first one is that we're seeing people, especially during the pandemic, experience food insecurity for the very first time. 
And this is an acute problem that happens for families where they don't have food in their cupboards. And that's a problem, and we need to get them food. Um, but additionally, food insecurity happens on a chronic level. And so what we want to do as an organization is address that chronic problem. And that does require some education, but we also have to define what the goal is. And for us, we've really recognized over the past three years that our goal should not just be to serve a meal to a child, but also to equip that child with the knowledge that they need to be a productive um, economic driver in their community in the future and have the tools and access to opportunity so that they can be food sovereign, meaning they have access to their own food supply and they can make their own choices. You and I, we make our food choices every single day. And so in order to instill dignity back into the hunger relief system, we have to think about how we are treating individuals. And that does come with education. That talks about the food system. We have a lot of problems in our society, and we need to address it holistically. You mentioned, you, you've mentioned COVID, the impact of COVID. Let's talk a little bit more about that. What, what impact have you seen pre-COVID, post-COVID? You mentioned more people facing that notion of not having enough food to feed their families. Well, just broadly, um, COVID's economic impact has been greater on the people in our society who can least afford it, right? So that has created its own ripple effect in terms of food insecurity. So people of color, single mothers, women, the, the impact of COVID has has been greater to those groups than it has to the greater society. And that creates a, a different subset of issues. We, we talk about the, the issue of food insecurity, if you will, of, of being part of that greater social determinants of health and how it impacts your health. And it does if you don't have access to the right kinds of foods or if you're worried about, am I paying for food or am I paying for medicine or am I yeah. not even to mention the social and emotional impact it has. Can you talk a little bit about what you've seen in your experience and, and, and how you do see it impact actual health. Well, we, we talk a lot about a phrase that we borrowed from Dave Miner at the Indy Hunger Network, which is that families facing food insecurity and financial hardship have this problem called the tyranny of the immediate. And that is exactly what you are talking about. It's that we're deciding if we don't have the, if we have finite resources, where those resources go to. And a lot of times the quality and the type of food that we choose ends up going by the wayside first. So we're paying for rent, of course, or we're paying for heat during the winter. Medicine. Me exactly. And that, that tyranny of the immediate is really the framework with which we need to approach um, this this food insecurity problem. I think what we should be really thinking about is how zip code really impacts people's act, people's ability to access education, jobs, food, health. You know, these zip code should not be something that controls the outcome of a child's life, but truly it is. And here's one of the things that I think distinguishes the Parashu Foundation from many of other organizations that are in, under the same umbrella. And that is, you have to think historically, 
what has happened in the food relief world for the last 20 years or so. The whole impetus of the food relief world is to get people food. Um, And that is wonderful, but it does not, and this goes to what Matthew said earlier, it does not address the underlying causes of why people have access issues. And so we decided, in terms of our evolution of our organization, to, yes, of course, feed children. That was what we our original goal was to do. But to also um, do what we can to address the underlying issues so that these children, as they mature, as they age, as they grow, will have a different set of access to opportunities, because those the access to opportunities is what will, at some point, we hope within a generation, will really change the hunger, the hunger ecosystem. If people have access to opportunities, opportunities for education, opportunities for jobs, guess what happens? They also have opportunity for food sovereignty. They have opportunities to get food, and hunger could be something of the past. What are the results you've seen since you've—I know the foundation is still relatively new. I mean, 2013, that's still relatively new. But are you starting to see the needle move at all, and or, or what will it take to, to get it moving to that good spot? You know, our, we are a small organization. Since we started in, in 2013, we've served about 200,000 meals, which has been a huge lift for us. And, and our focus on quality and the relationships with students has been— um, something that takes extra effort. Um, and and on top of that, I think the results that we've been able to see are in students. And um, in specifically, we, we launched a, um, a workforce development program with high schoolers. And that utilizes the food system to train them in um, job skills that they'll need um, but also gives them certifications that make them immediately employable on a path to a living wage job. And um, we, we launched that program about two years ago, a year and a half ago. And we had our first cohort was a, just of six students. And of those six students, all six of them have um, been accepted to college. When they started, they weren't even sure they wanted to go to college. Um, and and three of them have full ride scholarships. And so I think, you know, what Martha was talking about is access. And when we talk a lot in the food system, we talk about access to food. But what we want to do is start talking about access to opportunity. And that's really going to change the picture for these kids. And so it's, I mean, we have that small cohort, um, and we're going to grow that program in the future. But I think it's really, really important that we as a hunger relief system start thinking about what our goals are differently. And it's great to serve meals and meet an immediate need, and that is critically important. But we also have to recognize that our goal is to reduce food insecurity and hunger in, in our community and not just serve more food. You mentioned you are a small organization, although it sounds like you're making a, a huge impact. And I can tell the pride. I can just see the pride. I wish you could see the pride in Matthew's face. I can just tell the way you're talking about it, and, and that's wonderful. But there, but we need other people to to support as well. I mean, so so who do we go to? Is it the healthcare systems? Is it is, is it just parents? Do they need to know a little bit more? You know, is it the schools? I mean, where 
where are the other places that we need to reach out and say, hey, we need to do something here? I have to just start with the parents. Um, I am in awe of the burdens that are on these parents' shoulders. Um, you know, when I first started this work, someone mentioned to me that we needed to do financial training classes for the parents of the children we serve. And I was really taken aback by that. These are people who understand a budget better than anybody I know. Um, the parents have remarkable awareness level of what the problems are. And no parent um, that I've ever met, rich or poor or in between, wants less for themselves and their children, wants less for their children than they have. So I, I think that, again, you know, we have to take the judgment that most not-for-profits bring to solutions off the table. We, and we've really tried hard to remove that judgment um, of thinking that the parents need to do more, need to be better, need to be more aware. These are people who are fully embedded in what the system is doing. They understand better than anybody. I think a community-wide approach is really smart. But also, we have to change the language. You know, we have to talk in different terms. Um, and I think we are beginning as a small organization to change the discourse. Um, we, are no, we no longer are only interested in being a Band-Aid cure. We are interested in, create, in creating a solution so that in 10, 15, or 20 years, the world of hunger relief, especially in our community, is completely different. I, I think it's also really important as a community to think about how we want to create solutions to hunger and food insecurity. And one thing that we have been saying internally for a while is that sustainability needs to be built into the system. And so your question, where do we go? I think this goes to policymakers, to educators, to schools. We need to think about sustainable systems that we can put into place that can solve some of these problems or address them in the long term that's not going to drain um, the philanthropic system or um, be something that is creating a, a second, you know, incarnation of the same thing. We need fresh perspectives, and and additionally, what we need to bring to the table um, is is a lens of equity. And when I say that, I mean that we need to recognize that there have been systems that have been put into place that create this limit of opportunity, and especially when we're talking about food. Um, we have to recognize that it is a personal choice. We all make these personal choices about food. And um, people choose their food because it's relevant to them culturally, because um, it's what they like, it's been marketed to them. And so we have to address the whole complex system and not just think of simplistic answers. And so that means that a lot of people need to be at the table. And, and I think that um, the city of Indianapolis is involved in this work, but we also need lots of different sectors to come to the table and, and think about how we can change the narrative. Two questions I want to ask, um, because we, I could talk about this all day. You guys are, are just amazing. One is those that are listening to that point, Matthew, of, of a community-wide effort. 
individuals who are listening to this and, and think, what can I do as an individual? What would you say? Well, I would be remiss if I didn't say that you can go to our website, the <laughs> patitruefoundation.org. And, you know, we're always looking for volunteers who would like to be involved in our work. And I think you can sign up on that page. But there's also a citywide effort. It's called Food Comida Raw. And they are doing some system-wide uh, research around what can be done in Indianapolis to solve these problems. And so I would encourage people to go to that website and check that out. Um, and then on a personal level, I think you should go to your school and say, quality food is important to be served in this cafeteria because a lot of kids are getting two or three meals a day out of the school cafeteria, and it doesn't need to be pre-processed. It needs to be a quality meal. And so there's things that we can do inside of our community to advocate for change right now. When people hear, when we talk publicly about issues in our own community regarding food, I'll use the term insecurity, lack of access, um, people are shocked when they learn that there are virtually no schools in the IPS system that have operating kitchens. So already that changes the quality of food that children are getting. Um, and that this, again, goes to the complexity. Children are getting food. It's not high-quality food. Um, schools oftentimes will have, for instance, a school garden project totally disassociated from what the children are actually eating in the cafeterias. So, yeah, I see you shaking your head. When you, when you think about these micro things, you go, wow, this is a very confusing landscape. And there's not a cohesive, unified view of how all of this really works. I was thinking disconnection when you were saying that. It just sounds like there is a disconnect somewhere. Yeah, there is. And it's not because of lack of good intentions. It's just lack of true stepping back and saying what has been done over the last 20 years in all the in every community regarding this problem it has kind of hit a wall. And we need to adjust, we need to change the perspective lens, and we need to go for solutions that are truly that change the system that created these issues. I hope that we can talk again about this because I know there's so much more to get into. Um, and so I hope that you'll join us again for another conversation. We would be honored. We would. Well, I just want to thank you so much for your insight, for all the wonderful work that you're doing with the Patashu Foundation and, and just across our community. You are truly making a difference. Martha Hoover and Matthew Feltrop, thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. I'd like to thank our guests for being part of today's discussion and thank you for being part of our journey as we all become better listeners. I'm Chris Kirshner, and this has been Tell Us Where It Hurts. Until next time.